Well, the business had grown to the point that it was ready to open a second location across town. And a friend of the owners wanted to send along his best wishes. And so he sent flowers to the grand opening. And when he arrived at the grand opening to celebrate with them, he looked at the large bouquets of flowers that were all around the room. And he was looking for the one that he had sent to the grand opening. And finally he found it. It was kind of in a back room, in a back corner, kind of behind all of the other flowers. And when he found it, he was horrified to see that there was a uh, ribbon on his bouquet of flowers that said, uh, rest in peace. And he was angry and he was embarrassed and he apologized to his friend and he said that he was going to call the florist and complain. And so he called the florist and he began to complain. He told the florist how embarrassed he was. He told the florist how angry he was. And the florist cut him off short and said, sir, I'm really sorry. We'll refund your money. I'll send a letter of apology to your friend's business and I'll do whatever we need to do to make it right. But right this minute, I'm a little more concerned about the funeral that's going on somewhere in town with a uh, spray of flowers that says, good luck in your new location. Today, we're continuing our series, You Ask For It, with a message that deals with the question, what will happen when I die? And it's a serious question, and I hope that while the subject is sad, by the time that we are through, that you will have answers to your questions and that you will be encouraged. Now, one of the things I love to do is I love to collect uh, sayings that are engraved on real tombstones. Here are a few of my favorites. One man's tombstone said, raised four daughters with one bathroom and still there was love. Another one said, he looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on its way down. It was. A woman's tombstone said simply, I was hoping for a pyramid. Another said, here lies an atheist all dressed up with no place to go. Another woman's tombstone said, she always said her feet were killing her, but no one believed her. And then, some nieces and nephews were creative with Uncle Walter's tomb. Here's what it said, Uncle Walter loved to spend. He had no money in the end, but with many a whiskey and many a wife, he really did enjoy his life. Well, those are funny. But often we chase away thoughts about death and conversations about death because it's a sad subject. Yet we find ourselves in our quiet moments wondering about death. It's something that we think about at different times. And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7, a wise person thinks about death, but a fool thinks only about having a good time. So we want to be wise today. We want to think about death. And that's why we'll deal with this question what will happen when I die? And we'll use the wisdom of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes to do it. There are so many opinions about this, but how you answer the question will depend on your attitudes and will be based on how you look at death. So let me point out three viewpoints that I see possible as a person looks at death. My attitude will be based on my viewpoint. The first viewpoint is looking at death from the dark side. From the dark side. This is the way Solomon looked at death in most of the book of Ecclesiastes. While you find some 
wonderful wisdom in this book. It can also be really depressing. Looking at death from the dark side is the way that most people in our world see death. This is looking at the logical, the practical, the reality side of death. Logic says death is inevitable. In Ecclesiastes 2, we read, wise or foolish, we all die and are soon forgotten. Everybody has to face it. The death rate is still hovering at about 100%. Whether you're smart or dumb, whether we're godly or ungodly, we all die. Everybody has to face death. No one cheats death. No one escapes it. The old saying is true. There are two things that are certain, death and taxes. And we might laugh at the taxes part, but we accept that death is uh, a part of what's going to happen because we know that we will all die. We will all die. The logic also says death is physical. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, the same thing happens to animals and to people. They both have the same breath, so they both die. When Solomon looked at death from the dark side, he looked at people and he looked at animals. He watched them die. He saw that there really was no difference. They stopped breathing. Their heart stopped beating and they died. If you read on a few verses, you will see that he is saying the physical side of death brings up questions in his mind. He says, how can you say that when you look at an animal and a person that one is gone and one goes to heaven just from looking at death from this dark side? And he concludes, you really can't. Logic also says death is the end. Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes 9. For the living at least know that they will die. But the dead know nothing. They don't even have their memories. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is long gone. And they have no part in anything here on earth anymore. We look at life from the worldly existence standpoint. And everything has a beginning and everything has an end. Death is just the end of life, according to Solomon, looking at the dark side of death. So this is an option. We can view death from the dark side. Many people do. Viewing death from, uh, in this way makes me believe, what's the difference? What's the difference? It doesn't much matter how we live our life. It doesn't much matter what we do because we will die anyway. Look at, looking at death from the dark side brings cynicism. I simply become a very cynical and depressing person to be around. Mark Twain became morose and weary of life. And shortly before his death, he wrote these words. A myriad of men are born. They labor and sweat and struggle. They squabble and scold and fight. They scramble for little mean advantages over each other. Age creeps upon them, infir infirmities follow. Those they love are taken from them, and the joy of life is turned to aching grief. It, the release comes at last, the only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them, and they vanish from the world where they were of no consequence, a world which will lament them for a day and forget them forever. Wow, that is dark. And you can look at death from the dark side. But another viewpoint is looking at death from the inside. 
from the inside. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, But though God has planted eternity in the hearts of men, even so many cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. This is the thoughtful or philosophical side. And Solomon is saying, God has planted eternity in the hearts of human beings and people. And therefore, we eventually begin to look for something beyond this life. Viewing death from this way makes me believe there must be more. There must be more. There's something in all of us that thinks there's got to be more to it than that. Every human culture that has ever existed has done this, from the Egyptian pharaohs uh, who built great pyramids to American uh, Indians who uh, had their happy hunting grounds. And every culture has said there is something beyond. They've described it in different ways. But always with the thought, there's something out there, there's something more, there's something better. And we, we live in an age of movie sequels. Sequels. There's something in all of us that says, if they can make four sequels to Ghostbusters and nine sequels to Star Wars, there's got to be a sequel to life out there. Something this good has to have something after it. And looking at death from this way can bring some confusion. We have lots of questions sometimes, but no answers. We have this feeling within ourselves that there must be something more, but then we think maybe it's just wishful thinking. Maybe it's just a hunch, not a hope. Because of this, we're confused. What's really going to happen? Well, there is one more option. And that's looking at death from God's side. Looking at death from God's side. That's a way to view death. And that would be God's side. This viewpoint says, if we listen to God, there is a way of viewing death which is not cynical. It's not just cynical or confusing. But when we deal with this, first we have to discuss and decide what the real question is. While Solomon was a wise man, he spent most of the book of Ecclesiastes asking the wrong question. His question was, what will happen when I die? And that's the wrong question. The real question isn't what will happen when I die, but what will happen after I die? And the answer to this question will be based on my choices while I'm alive. The answer to what will happen after I die will be based on the choices that I make while I'm alive. The choices I make about Jesus result in one of two things, either separation in hell, that's one of the choices, uh, one of the results of the choices I make. And if you look at 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 1, chapter, or verses 8 and 9, this is what you read. Then he will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the good news about our Lord Jesus Christ. Those people will be punished with a destruction that continues forever. They will be kept away from the Lord and from his great power. This is verses talking about the reality of hell. Hell is real. It's a real eternal place. And you may not want to believe in hell, but I want you to know Jesus believed in hell. Twelve of the twenty direct references to hell in the New Testament came directly from the lips of Jesus. He talked more about hell than anybody else did. 
he talked about it being real and being an eternal place. It was, uh, it is just as real and just as eternal as heaven. And I'd rather talk to you about heaven. I'd rather talk to you about the good news, but I wouldn't be honest if I didn't tell you the whole picture. Hell is just as real as heaven. The choices we make on earth determine where we're going to spend eternity. Now, what's the truth about hell? Well, hell is a place of pain, of constant suffering. There will be no comfort or relief. It's a place of loneliness. People who think that hell is going to be some great big party where all their friends will be really don't get the point. Jesus said hell is a place of outer darkness relationally. It will be a place of loneliness. Your friends may be there, but you won't be with them. It's a place of godlessness on earth. As good or as bad as it might be, we have both evil people and good people. And it doesn't make any difference because the Bible says God still sends the sun to shine on those who are evil and those who are good. We all benefit from the goodness of God here on earth. We still benefit from his compassion and his patience. And in hell, there will be none of that. No compassion, no creativity, no patience. It's a place where we're separated from God. And sometimes people wonder, how can a loving God send people to hell? I want you to know he doesn't. He doesn't. He created hell for the devil and his angels, and God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Look at what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, the Lord isn't slow about keeping his promise as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. The truth is God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose to go to hell. God has given us a choice, and he honors our choice even if we choose to be separated from him for eternity in hell. So uh, one choice could be, uh, the choices I make could result in separation in hell. A better one would be it resulting in celebration in heaven. And in Revelation 21, John sees this vision. He sees the vision of judgment day. He sees this vision of heaven coming down to earth and uh, Jesus on the throne, and then he hears this voice, and listen to what it said in John chapter 21. It says this, I heard a loud voice shout from the throne, God's home is now with his people. He will live with them, and they will be his own. Yes, God will make his home among his people. He will wipe all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death, suffering, crying, or pain. These things of the past are gone forever. These things of the past are gone forever. Heaven is a place with no pain, no virus, no disease, no fear, no sadness, no separation. Friends will be there that I loved long ago. There will be no racism, no brutality, no injustice, no riots. So the bottom line is, in eternity, God honors the choice that I make here on earth. I choose to live my way, or I can choose to live his way. If I choose to push God away and live life my way, he will honor that, even if it means that I reject him and end up separated from him for all eternity. But if I choose his way, if I choose his way, then suddenly death isn't something to fear at all. 
Look at how looking at death from God's side changes things. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says this, Truly, in our own hearts, we believed we would die, but this happened so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises people from the dead. We serve a God who raises people from the dead. And when we were baptized, we joined Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection. It was the picture of God's promise to us. When we trust him to save us, he promises to raise us up to eternal life in heaven with him. And so viewing death from this way, from God's way, makes me believe that I have a choice. And looking at death this way brings confidence. It brings confidence. I have the confidence that one day when I breathe my last breath here, I will breathe my first breath in eternity. And that will be a good day. But I should mention that dealing with death here is still not easy. Like some of you, I have buried people that I love, including a daughter who I watched when she entered the world and four and a half years later watched her leave this world and all these years later I still miss her all of the time but do you know what brings me comfort while I live here the comfort that I have is this I know that one day I will see her again I will hug her again she will be there to welcome me into heaven someday John Bacon uh, once a famous sculpture left this inspiration on his tomb in Westminster Abbey in England. It says this, what I, was, um, what I was as an artist seemed of some importance to me while I lived, but what I was as a believer in Jesus Christ is the only thing of importance to me now. Those words in Solomon's warning towards the end of the book of Ecclesiastes are important for us to think about. Ecclesiastes 11 says this, It's a wonderful thing to be alive. If a person lives to be very old, let him rejoice every day of his life. But let me also remember that eternity is far longer and that everything down here is futile in comparison. Don't spend your entire life making choices that seem fun and wise for today because everything down here is futile in comparison. Make sure that you're not overlooking choices that will matter longer, that will matter for all eternity. I hope the choices that you make will lead you to celebrating in heaven with me and with my daughter and especially with Jesus and those you love. Let's pray together.